0: I'm Kate Daniels. Joining us is family mental health advocate and coach Bob Krulish, national speaker for NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and author of the new book, When Screams Become Whispers, One Man's Inspiring Victory Over Bipolar Disorder. Bob Krulish, good morning, and I am so grateful for you and for the time that you're taking with us this morning to bring more insight and awareness and hope. In all in capital letters, HOPE, uh, Uh on this, in this area of mental illness and a a pathway forward. So many thanks for all of this that you are doing, Bob.
1: You're so welcome, Kate. Thank you for having me.
0: So this book, When Screams Become Whispers, One Man's Inspiring Victory Over Bipolar Disorder, really, you, you... Open your yourself out. It's like you, you're spilling out your heart so that people can, we, the public, can get insight. And I think that it helps us to get more awareness on what goes on and having been through that, that here you are doing the work that you're doing. So there's that capital H-O-P-E that uh, you, you offer all of us, I think.
1: Oh well thank you for saying that. I do hope I I hope that I offer a lot of hope and encouragement to families and they can see that even somebody like myself who went undiagnosed and untreated for thirty five years of my life, that I was able to get finally get properly diagnosed, properly treated and through a lot of hard work, a lot of mental uh, medical trial and error with medicines and, and therapies. I'm able to live a very successful, healthy, normal. What I think of as a very normal life, and I'm and I'm encouraged by that. From not only for myself, but for all the people that I know, and all those who suffer from a mental illness. I'm encouraged by knowing that they too can find you know if they find the right kind of treatment that uh, for the vast majority i'd say 99% of them they can really live a really good life
0: So one of the obstacles, as you and I spoke of before we started in earnest in this conversation, is the fact that there's been such a stigma, people don't want to discuss mental illness, Mm -hmm. it's something like you can push away into some dark room or off into the corners under the rug. But I feel that we're making some progress in that sense that there have been some instances, I think, of of uh, Simone Biles in the Olympics, you know, sitting yeah. out on some of her uh, events because she said she she was not able to do it because of her, her mental state. So that kind of thing, a high profile person does help to bring a different lens, doesn't it?
1: It does, it helps bring a different lens and a different uh, a level of awareness. You know, somebody that popular and somebody that well-known. It's always great when somebody like that comes out and, it, and shares their experience with their mental health conditions and, um, and, and allows people to recognize that this is not uh, um, something to be afraid of but just something to be treated.
0: Yes, exactly. And so on top of everything else, of course, we've been living with this pandemic for now well past a year and a half. And that, of course, I think we're finally acknowledging the stress, the mental stress it's putting on individuals, on families, in so many different ways. So in your work, are you finding that kind of a repercussion, are you finding families coming to you seeking some help in that regard because of the pandemic? Uh, Most
1: definitely. um, You know, one of the biggest triggers of mental illness is, you know, symptoms, you know, is stress. It's probably the biggest trigger of a mental illness. So some people who weren't really experiencing symptoms before the pandemic who have a clinical condition but may not have been experiencing symptoms are now experiencing symptoms because the stress of the pandemic has triggered their illness. Some some a lot of people the illnesses were lying dormant within them and and wouldn't have been triggered had it not been for this increased amount of stress. So I'm seeing just a a large number, a larger number of people coming to me looking for help because they, their son or daughter, like I work a lot. I specialize primarily with parents who have a son or daughter with a mental illness um, that that has difficulty even recognizing they have a mental illness, and. And the number of triggers, the number of episodes that are being triggered is just more than I've ever seen in my life.
0: So, fortunately, these parents are turning to you. To help our listeners, should they be in some kind of situation like this, how do parents find you and reach out to you?
1: Well, I have a website at bobcoulis.com com, and I recommend that they go there. It's b o b k r u l i s h dot com. And the best way to get started is I do is I have an events tab on my website that has all the workshops that I do um, for this very purpose to bring awareness and to and to also bring where I teach a lot of communication skills on just how do you communicate now with your son or daughter or your loved one who's experiencing symptoms maybe for the first time in their life. And so I do a workshop. It's a three-hour workshop. I do about two of these a month, and they're free. And they're hosted by different NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, different affiliates around around the state of Washington and and some places around the country.
0: So that is an incredible gift. Should someone not even maybe be uh, wanting to acknowledge this, but is kind of, uh, what, just uh, doing some research to move Mm -hmm. forward, this would be a great place for them to go and at least become educated.
1: Become educated. Yeah, that's what I do. I do a little bit of I do some education. I help them be aware of some of the conditions that exist out there in the mental illness space. And then we talk about communication strategies so that you're not tripping over your loved one by talking to them in a way that be, maybe felt offensive to them. So you wouldn't say to them, let's say they are diagnosed and are supposed to be taking medication the typical comments that a lot of parents would make to their son or daughter when they wondered if the son or daughter's taken the medication is they might just flat out say are you sure you're taking your meds mm-hmm. well that always I always ask everybody raise your hand if that ever ended up in a fight in the whole audience you know everybody raises their hand whether it's on Zoom or we're live and so a better way to say that would be, you know, I've noticed some of the symptoms of your illness. I wonder if the meds are working properly. Mm-hmm. So there the assumption is that it's the meds that are not working properly, not the individual. You see how subtle and yet different, powerfully different that is, that messaging. So I teach a lot about how to message in a way that's not going to be offensive to the ill-loved one.
0: As you said that, I was thinking, we all need to learn how to be diplomats, be diplomatic yeah. in how we speak, just in general for sure, but certainly in this situation where it's so critical.
1: It's so critical, and it's so it's such a heightened amount of sensitivity. And with people who struggle with a mental illness, there's a heightened amount of... Um, intensity around our emotions and our feelings. So it's very easy to upset somebody, you know, especially if you say something that directive and that, and that judgmental to somebody with a mental illness. So what I teach is really how to be less critical and judgmental in our conversation and more, more collaborative and more compassionate in how we say things.
0: And Bob, what about when it seems aware that someone is struggling uh, mentally, how can we speak to that person about reaching out to a medical professional to get the help that they need?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's a real tough one. It really depends. There's two, two different pass here. One is people who have an awareness that they have a mental illness. That's one group of people and then there's a group of people who because of another medical condition in their brain are not able to process the fact that they have a mental illness even though they've been told by a doctor they have. The brain just doesn't go there. It doesn't let them go there. So they can hear it, but they can't receive it. They don't process the information. So they seemingly end, look like they're in denial, but they just have a lack of insight, or it's called anosognosia in the medical terms. So in both cases, you have people that need treatment. Now, the people who are aware that they have an illness, it's a little bit easier to communicate with them because you could just say stuff like, I noticed some symptoms that might be the signs of of your mental health condition that you might want to go talk to your doctor about, like in the case of mania with bipolar disorder, one of the hallmark features is pressured speech. The person speaks a mile a minute and what I call it uninterruptible speech. You can't interrupt them and they can go on for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes without really even taking a pause. That would be one sign that you can point out to somebody and say, you know, I noticed you have a lot of this kind of seemingly uninterruptible speech, maybe something that you want to talk to a doctor about. With the people who lack awareness, it's really hard because they could also lack awareness of even their symptoms. So in those cases, you really have to build a level, high level of trust with that individual And then say something like, you know, I noticed some things about you that just seem to be a little bit out of the ordinary. I'd like you, as your trusted friend, to go and see a doctor about it.
0: Great. Excellent. And, of course, a lot of this is going to be offered in in those free workshops that you offered. So let's one more time mention your website, Bob, so that people know how to find you for that.
1: So it's at b o b k r u l i s h B-O-B-K-R-U-L-I-S-H.com. And then there's, I have uh, several things that are really helpful for people there. Not only the events tab, if you click on the events tab, you'll see all the events that are coming up. I think I have five or six currently published events that are coming up over the next couple of months. And then I have um, another interesting thing that I'd like people to take a look at is something about symptoms. And in there, I, I list several major mental health conditions and I list all the symptoms. So, one of the things I think we can do better job in society is just being more literate about what the symptoms are. So it's important to know, like, for example, people say they think they have anxiety disorder. But it's interesting in the medical books, you really have to exhibit signs of enormous amount of anxiousness over a particular topic for six months actually for six months before you really properly diagnose with anxiety disorder. And with bipolar disorder, you would have to exhibit mania for at least a week of really having four or more manic symptoms going on all the time. So sometimes we think a person might be, we see one symptom and we think the person might have bipolar disorder, but really What I try to do on my website is show that it takes a lot of different symptoms before a person is properly diagnosed with something like
0: that. So a wealth of information there to really help all of us struggling in some way, whether it's ourselves, whether it's a family member, a friend, we can bring that hope to these individuals and to ourselves
1: into ourselves yeah we hold out for hope for them and i hope we do i have never met a hopeless case it's just really one of finding the proper level of treatment whatever that might be for that individual and so i do believe that like i said earlier that most people 99 percent of people who can find the right treatment, can really live a really great life with a serious mental illness like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, psychosis and things like that. And then people that are treated properly with other mental health conditions like anxiety, major depression disorder uh, with the right treatment also can live very productive, highly functional lives. I've seen it myself personally and I've seen it with many many of my friends and other clients that I
0: have so in terms of treatment and I feel this is an area that is sorely lacking certainly right where we live here in the in the northwest but I I dare say maybe even across the country but when if we focus here what is it that we need to move in the direction of the treatment Because, yes, it's lacking, I feel.
1: Yeah, I think several things. One is just access to care. It has just become such a huge demand for services in our country and in the Pacific Northwest that we are just not able to absorb the demand. We don't have enough practitioners. And so. One of the hard parts about this is that a person may be aware and may be willing to go see a doctor, but then when they try to go get an appointment with a psychiatrist, it might be three, four, five months out before they get treated, before they get seen. And that's just, um, that's just sad, you know, that we have that going on in our country and, and here in, in, in the state of Washington. We really struggle with access to care. What I hope to see is just more emphasis on on making it more attractive to be a psychiatrist, I guess. I've talked to psychiatrists about this issue and they say, you know, it's really a very difficult thing to do. Insurance companies make it a little bit harder, you know, to get services paid for than it may be for other services and other doctors. And just the high level of training that somebody has to go to, it's really a difficult, difficult job to be a psychiatrist. And so my heart bleeds because I just was trying to get somebody in to see the psychiatrist the other day. And it's like we're, we're talking about February before they're going to be able to be seen.
0: And too much life happens between now and February. So, Oh, my gosh. So yeah. much can happen to that person between now and February. And I think about the crisis we have in our area, particularly in the Seattle area, with Mm -hmm. mental illness, walking downtown where I work some of the time, I see it around me and it's heart crushing to see what is going on with these individuals and feeling so helpless as to what do I do? Where do we turn to?
1: Oh, it is so, so frustrating. You you take the homeless population, which I believe, and this is anecdotal, but uh, people I know, I would say that probably 70% of the homeless population or maybe even more is affected with a mental illness or a mental health condition, and their access to treatment is just nil, and yet it breaks my heart because, honestly, Kate, I mean, there's like, one one antipsychotic I take. It's just this little tiny pill, and it's the difference between me being probably homeless and me living a great life. And I just my heart breaks because that's all they need is something like that, some some easy easy thing to remedy if they could just get in front of the doctor, if they can just get access to care, if they can just get access to the medications, you know, it's not like we have to perform surgery on anybody or we have to do a whole lot of, it's just a small amount, you know, it's just one tiny thing that separates so many people from being able to live well. And it just breaks my heart because it just should be available to them you know i mean i i had this dream and maybe anybody listening if you want to pursue this dream with me let me know but i used to think how cool would it be to have a kiosk kind of like the atm kiosk that we have where a person like somebody that may be living on the streets can just go and put their thumbprint you know let's say they they did get access to a doctor they got in the system they did a little thumbprint, and out popped out a little container of their medication for the day. Right? right. I mean, wouldn't that be nice if we actually brought the medication to them? We made it available to them. And then we talk about housing, but I really believe that with the treatment that they need, so many people would be able to live more functional lives and take themselves out of the streets, you know, not need to be taken out, but, they could live very independent lives mm-hmm. with just the right amount of treatment.
0: Potentially then get into like a transitional housing situation. That's right. uh, so they get their legs beneath them and be able to make some progress and move forward into what their life purpose has meant to was meant to be. Well, we get them,
1: we get them in housing, but we don't get them treated. We don't help them get treatment. And sometimes they're not able, they're not healthy enough to fully enjoy the housing situation that they currently have. And so you see, sometimes people will get into housing, but then kind of kind of make some mistakes in there, you know, and then they're kicked out. And they're back on the streets waiting again for another turn. And I think, gosh, if they were just treated in-house simultaneously, how much better the system would work. It would really just work so much better. But we, we're missing that one piece. You know, We have programs in place, but they're just not seemingly effective enough to get the people treated for the illness that they have. And there's a movie, I can't remember the name of it, but in this movie, the guy's a pharmaceutical rep, and he's thrown away Prozac. His, his competitor is Prozac. <laughs> he's got uh, meds like that, that he's putting in a dumpster. I forget what it is. I think it's Prozac. It might be some other antipsychotic, whatever. But anyway, there's a homeless guy that ends up saying, mind if I take these? And he starts out being really, you know, the shell-looking homeless person. And then over the course of the movie, you see him coming back and back for these heads that this guy keeps throwing away. And all of a sudden, you see him with a briefcase in that the coat and tie on and saying, I have an interview today. And I'm like, yes. See, that's what would happen. That's what would happen if a person just got properly treated. They would be able to get themselves up and going.
0: And so that is what it takes, is sufficient medical personnel, that are really educated in this field to work with the people who are needing the help. And there's obviously a big need for for mm-hmm. all levels, I think, of those in the psychiatric field.
1: Just a huge need. It's just a huge shortage. And then just you know, delivering those services to people that may not have you know, a car, or they might not have access to go somewhere, or they just delivering services, period. You know, however, however we can do it, you know, make it easier. I mean, somebody I was just talking to, was talking about trying to get Section 8 housing for themselves and the, a massive amount of paperwork and difficulty and they were saying this is an educated person saying i don't know how somebody without any kind of formal education would be able to navigate through this whole process and i'm thinking yeah we need to make that easier for people and all people should have access to services like that don't make it so hard um, some things are really hard to to to, to get and and i As a society, we just could do a better job. We have all kinds of programs, Social Security, Disability Insurance, for example, SSDI, but the average person, it takes them two years or more before they get approved for it, and that's usually after uh, going through several iterations of appeals and being denied more than once before they finally get approved. I, I just see things like that don't shouldn't be such a you know it'd be nice if they weren't so hard for people especially people struggling with a mental health condition already it's hard enough right you know.
0: so there's there's room or there's a needed place for advocates to uh mm-hmm. you know that that a person who is struggling with a mental illness could could know they could go to this place uh different than the kiosk but similar, yes. where they yeah. know that there's someone there who's going to walk with them and help them navigate this, because I even for me who I can probably navigate, it still is so cumbersome and frustrating. So if you add in that layer of uh, of a mental illness, uh, mm. it, yes, I can see where it would cause a person to just explode,
1: explode and give up, mm-hmm. you know to just go. Uh, You know, I've tried, you know, I I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And I'm like, yeah, I understand. I mean, it just takes such a considerable amount of effort for people that have very high level cognitive functioning to navigate through some of these programs to get qualified and to get approved, to receive some of these services. And then the services that have been traditionally available to people to people that maybe are on the streets or or that have economic hardship are closing down where we've had services like that here in just the seattle area in the state of washington where some of those programs some of those companies have closed down because they can't get the help that they need in order to continue to function so these services that sparsely available have become even more sparse and the hard part when you have services like that, you have to be really careful with in the mental illness in that you really want to have consistency of care. But a lot of these programs, a person will see one doctor and then the next time see a different doctor and is going a different doctor each time and probably only get about five minutes to really tell their story. It's just not adequate enough. You know, it's just not enough. And so... I think it'd be great if society, you know, would just embrace those of us with a mental health condition, knowing that we're really just treatment away from living our full potential and that we, it'd be great if we had that kind of compassion and just say, you know what, let's, let's make it so that they can live their full potential and just what a. You know the economics would change so much too in society. I mean, if you can help people uh live their full potential instead of trying to support them because they're not able to live their full potential what a great what a great thing it is economically and socially, and just doing the right thing for these people
0: and truly, what a better world what we could create,
1: right oh. Yes, such a more compassionate, kinder world it would be.
0: Well, Bob Krulish, I do believe that this is your mission, and you are certainly, because of your life, what you've experienced, which we can all read about and learn from in When Screams Become Whispers, we can learn from that from your website where you offer these wonderful free workshops to help people and with your vision. I do think you spell hope for all of us. So I thank you so greatly for all that you are doing and, and all of who you are.
1: Oh, well, that's so nice of you to say, kid. Thank you. Thank you so much for letting this be on your program so that we can get, uh, you know, we can help the people who really need this kind of help. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, it's the very least I can do, Bob. Many thanks to you. You're
1: welcome.